I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the great advantages of being in one place for one time is that the conversation, the theological conversation, can stretch over a long period of time, and I'm not uh, limited to 10 minutes to make a point, which is really good because uh, my brain was half on litigation last week. So I want to go back a step. The, the, the points from last week's readings and this week's readings are somewhat interrelated, and so that's why if you think of this as part two of a series, that might be helpful to all of us. The um, Last week, my reflections were on the peace which passes all understanding, the, the peace which Christ gives us. Uh, that was the focus of the gospel. We are reading some of the most mystical passages in John's gospel um, over these, these, these couple of weeks as we lead up to Pentecost, um, and we follow up on that notion of the peace which passes all understanding, which is the gift of Christ to all who believe, with this concept of mystical unity, where at some level the believers become one with Christ, as Christ is one with the Father. And so we have this great prayer of Jesus, which is a farewell prayer, and so it's put right after the ascension. So we have this period in the church calendar where Christ was with us after the resurrection, and then he goes up to heaven, and then we have this week and a bit where we are watching and waiting and praying for something new to happen. When Christ is gone, the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come. So we're in this in-between space. And in that in-between space, we read this bit of John as this farewell prayer from Jesus. When I go, I'm leaving you these words to think about because that's what's happening. And what's happening is I am praying for you to become one as I and the Father are one. And so... The topic for today is mystical unity, and of course that's tied together with the peace that passes all understanding, because when we are one, when we are aligned with God, when we are one with God, then we receive this divine sense of peace. And what I was struggling with last week that I'd like to take another little run at is that when I use this language today, I am very aware that the language has been twisted and perverted in some circles, so that when I use these words, what people hear is not what I mean. Um, and and that is, that's a human problem. I, it's not, I'm not pointing fingers at certain groups for being terrible. I, it's something that we all do. We all uh, are, uh, have a predisposition for, for having an uncomfortable reality or a reality that we'd rather not admit Um, being presented as the opposite of that reality. And so we mask it to ourselves. Something that we are not happy with or that we are ashamed of, we will present as the opposite precisely in order to suppress it and deny it. And so all this beautiful language of unity and peace in the Christian tradition can be misused and used in a way that masks or presents the opposite spin on something quite different that's going on in reality. And so when Uh, When Christians do harm to others, they say we're doing this for peace. Um, And Christians are not alone. This is a human thing. Um, I I love how after World War II in America, the Department of War rebranded itself as the Department of Defense precisely when it engaged in an offensive set of actions all over the world to create the American hegemony that we have today. And so, but this is defense. This is what we're doing. That's why we're invading places, because we are invading for defense with a special military action, don't you know? So, uh, um, and similarly, in, in the online world, um, I've dabbled in online 
computer games a little bit over the years, and there's this phenomenon called griefing, where a gamer, completely anonymous, will come and will spend their time making somebody else's life miserable because that makes that's fun for them. So they will harass and intimidate, and you know, if you're if you're playing a, a war game, a shooter, they will just find your guy and they'll kill that guy over and over and over again because I'm level 100 and you're level one, and I'm just going to kill you and laugh and laugh and make the game absolutely miserable. And in that context, they will say, it's just a game, it doesn't mean anything, when in reality, what we are seeing is actually something much more true about the character of that person than you would see in real life, because in real life, there are consequences for that behavior. They don't want to be shamed and shunned and ostracized from regular society, so that behavior doesn't come out. But when they're anonymous and there are no consequences, absolutely. And so, in fact, it is more true how they're behaving in that artificial environment. So the artificiality is paradoxically a window into truth. So the Christian language of peace and unity can paradoxically be used to mask a, 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 a love of war, a, a, a conflict, a, a, a state of being conflicted, and a state of divisiveness. And divisiveness has energy and attraction, as we can all see, that we are in the age of social media, which has incentivized and monetized human division. What gets the clicks, the likes, the retweets? What, what gets the energy? The energy is something that is controversial. Um, oh, even the mainstream media now has to change their headlines to make it much more controversial because otherwise it'll get buried in the social media algorithm. You want people to be angry about it in order to make your money. And so we incentivize division. And one of the most depressing things about our political situation today is precisely how divided we are one from another. And it's in this context that I'm reflecting on the Christian call to be one as Christ and the Father are one. So the contrast could not be starker between what we are called to and what we do. And when, when this language gets put in the service of human division, that's what drives me bonkers. And that's why I am at pains to say that's not what I mean. And that's what I was struggling with last week, was to say that's not what I mean. This stuff is meaningful. It is true and it is good. One of the, one of the caveats that, that keep us on the right path is realizing that this is ahead of us. I don't think any one of us can legitimately claim that we have perfect unity between our will and God's will. Um, I've been trying my whole life to get there, and I'm not there yet, not by a long shot. And so it's ahead of me. And so the best I can say is that wonderful prayer of Thomas Merton that says, I know that I can't please you, but I have a desire to please you, and that desire alone is enough to please you. And that's the state that I find myself in with these texts about the peace which passes all understanding and the mystical unity with Christ that I desire at the deepest part of my being. I want to be one with Christ. I want to be doing nothing but activities in the service of peace and love and harmony and kindness and compassion because that is where the deepest part of my being wants to live. And I believe that's where the deepest part of everyone's being wants to live. And so we need to grow into that and that because that's ahead of us and the humility to acknowledge that that's still ahead of us makes us less prone 
to lying to ourselves and saying this thing that I'm doing that is actually more causing more division and more strife and, and causing pain and suffering is justified because it's in the service of truth and righteousness and justice. So the humility to say it's still ahead of us always should put a caution on us to say when, I, when I'm most certain that I am right, that's when I'm at most danger of, of lying to myself and using this language in a way that divides people and doesn't bring them together. So the final thought on this notion of Christian unity is that if at the deepest part of our being we are called to be one, one with Jesus, one with the Father, and one with each other, and yet we struggle with that because we're not there yet, how do we do that? What, what, what's practically, what, what is practically before us as the task as believers who are trying to be faithful and follow in Jesus' footsteps? For me, that has to do with um, the church as a, as a practice ground. We should be one with everybody, whatever. Race, color, creed, doesn't matter. All human beings should be one. This is a vision for all of humanity, not just a subset. But what the church is or ought to be is a place where we practice with each other. We have to take for granted that each of us here is in line with that purpose and direction. And so when we find ourselves struggling with each other, we remind ourselves of the deep longing for peace and for oneness, and we put ourselves in that path, which means that we have a better chance of getting there than litigants, for example. That, you know, all, all, of, all of my instincts are to say, hey, what are your deep longings? What are my deep longings? Peace, justice, righteousness. That's what we're going for. Well, not necessarily. The world that isn't aligned with this purpose lives in this, I'm sorry, Hobbesian reality uh, where, where life is nasty, brutish, and short, and people are destined to be in conflict because we have interests that compete with each other, and we're always competing with our interests, and so what is a gain for you is a loss for me. So regardless of peace, justice, and all that other stuff, I just want more for me, which means less for you. And so we constantly are at war with each other. That's the world of the suits. That, that's, that's the world in which they live all the time. And I'll tell you, this week I have never been... Um, happier with my choice of vocation. Because <laughs> it changes you. It does change you. And I, I have the great luxury of still being naive in my 50s because this is the path that I've been on, working with people who, for the most part, are on this same path, who want to be there, who are prepared to take the risk to be vulnerable with each other and express those deep desires, even when we are fighting with each other over gay marriage or whatever it is, where we have strong feelings about what the church should be, and yet, and, and yet we do it as a church, and we say, I, I, we, we enter into those conversations with curiosity and a little defensiveness, a little fear, yes, And why is that? Because what are we one with? Are we one with our ideas of what's right? Or are we trying to be one with Christ and each other? And the things that divide us as Christians is when we identify, when we say my ego, myself, is tied up with this way of being, this set of ideas, this political package, this whatever it is. And so that when my church doesn't reflect that political package or set of ideas back to me, then it's an attack on me. And when somebody doesn't want the church to be that way, then it is an attack against me as a person, and so I have to defend myself, and so we get into conflict. 
And that's because we have identified with something that is not Christ, who calls us into unity. So one of my deepest desires and beliefs as a church person is that we as a church do better. That we're not going to stop fighting. We're not going to stop disagreeing. We're not going to stop hurting each other and being in conflict with each other. But what we can do in those moments is do it differently. Do it in a way that always is um, leaving open the door and with the, the deepest purpose being that we find the will of God and find our way together in peace towards it. Because the will of God is always about unity and about peace. It is not about conflict and division. And it's a work in progress. We're not there yet. The church is never going to get there 100%. But that's why we have the, the repentance built into our liturgy. We, we know where we're going. We know we're not there. We know that all of us contributes to the problems as well as to the solutions. And so every week we say, God, help us to grow in unity with you. And we repent of the ways of all the things that we have participated in that have drawn us from that unity with you. And so our desire to be one with God makes us one with God, even if our oneness with God is imperfect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.